You are tuning into the True North Church Podcast. Our prayer is that you would be inspired and encouraged by today's message. For more information about True North Church, please visit us online at truenorthak.org. Well, my name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at True North, and we are in our series that we're calling Stronger Families. You know, Pastor Mark felt very strongly this year that this year we needed a theme. We need the theme of stronger. So we're going to hit that note week after week, month after month this year, so that we can truly reinforce, rebuild, and strengthen ourselves, our families, our walk with God, our biblical understanding, to be able to walk in the way that God has for us. We know that God's way is the best way, and we know that he wants us to reach our best days, and if our best days are ahead, the best way to become stronger is to know him better, and we want to move forward in that. And as part of our Stronger Families series, today we're talking about sex. Now, I'm not going to bust out the 80s song, Let's Talk About Sex. That would be a little weird. But was it the 90s? I don't know. I didn't listen to that kind of music. I'm a holier person than that. But... (laughs) But, but here's the reality. If the church chooses not to talk about something, the world will talk about it. So if the world is okay singing a song called Let's Talk About Sex and the church is plugging in their ears and screaming Bible verses against it, the church is missing an opportunity to speak into a very important area. The church has missed an opportunity to take ownership of something that God designed, that God created for good. And if we start talking about it like it's impure and improper, then we miss the opportunity to shape the next generation in the way that God has designed, in the way that God has planned, in the way that God wants fulfilled for his best purpose. The church has to take ownership. And the reality is, is we are now operating in what is called a post-Christendom society in that biblical knowledge, biblical understanding, a biblical way of life is secondary to I feel, therefore I do. We operate in a reality now contrary to culture. What used to be everybody goes to church on Sundays is like, I watch football on Sundays, and if I, wa- if I go to church, it's because my mom made me or because my grandma guilted me into it on Christmas or Easter, right? Christendom was God's way is the underlying foundation. It doesn't necessarily mean everybody was Christian, but there was an underlying morality. That's long gone. We are now counterculture being the church, which means we have to counter culture. And the problem was 60 years ago when culture started to change, sexuality started to change, morality started to change. Instead of the church standing at the front saying, this is what we believe, all they did was say, don't do that. That's inappropriate. You shouldn't be doing that. That's wrong. That's not okay. And how many of us have ever had a toddler? When you tell a toddler, don't do that, don't eat that, don't lick that, don't step on that, don't bring that into my house, what do they do? They push back. They rebel. They immediately do exactly what you taught them or what you told them not to do with the most evil and hilarious little cackle that they possibly can. Because intrinsic in our very nature, we didn't teach our kids to do that, but it's in there and it doesn't go away. So when all we have to say is don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, intrinsically, deep within our sinful self, all we're going to do is push back and say, you can't tell me what to do. Who are you to tell me what to do with my body, my emotions, my feelings? All of that becomes a cultural underlying morality. And the underlying morality is, I feel, therefore I do. Church can't be that. 
there has to be a truth. There has to be an absolute foundation to build on because if you build upon something that is not absolute, eventually it caves in on itself. I don't think we want to have the next generation cave in on itself because we can already see the underlines of what that's going to bring about. We can already see the rumblings of what happens when culture says, do what you want, feel what you want. Everything is fluid. And if there is no truth, we have a problem. We have to be the church that knows God's truth. We have it up on the wall. We are a Bible church. It's the first thing there for a reason. We're not going to be a statement church that says true north believes. We're going to build who we are, what we believe upon what God says. Not our interpretation. We're going to take it straight from God's word. Why? Because that's the only way we're going to be able to build our culture and our next generation upon the word of God, upon his absolute truth, to have a morality that is unchanging, unfiltered, un- unshakable in its very definition. Now, there, there are some of us in here, we're, we're talking about sex, and you're, you're kind of retreating. Emotionally, you don't want to have this conversation. Um, the world will have this conversation if you don't choose to have this conversation, so I'm going to conf- confront that right now. But some of us are in here right now saying, I don't know that I can have this conversation moving forward with my kids. I didn't make all the right decisions. So what? It doesn't make you a hypocrite to want something better for your kids. It doesn't make you a hypocrite to say, I messed up. I don't want my kids to make the same mistakes. I don't want my kids to walk through the same pain. I don't want my kids and my grandkids to walk through the same challenges and heartache and heartbreak. I want better for them. The only way to have something better is to build them upon something that is unshakable. So as we talk about truth, as we talk about theology, as we talk about what it means to think properly, we have to know that there is a truth. The unshakable truth of God's word built upon the unshakable identity of our God in heaven. So we're going to talk about sex. And we're not going to go into details on all of those different things, but we're going to talk about what God defines it as. And the goal here is not shame if you've crossed lines you shouldn't have crossed or made decisions you shouldn't have made. The goal is holiness. The goal is to understand God better so that we can teach God better. Because how many of us know it's not enough for us to know if we are parents, if we are grandparents, if we are guardians, if we are mentors. We can't just know. We have to share. We have to teach. We have to instruct. We have to educate so that the next generation is in better shape than we are. We want to move things forward. So today we're going to lay out a foundation by understanding the theology of sex. If it's in the Bible, it's worth addressing. If it's part of our world culture, it's worth addressing. Sex is in the Bible. I know, those, those parents in here are like censoring those lines. What verses should I not be reading to my kids? Song of Solomon is not what we're addressing today, okay? We're going to look at the very beginning. Genesis 1, 1 and 2 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God was there in the beginning. God was there before the beginning. And if you were here for Lynn's teaching on Wednesday, what you heard was a little bit of background of the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis was written by Moses for a people who had only ever operated from a position of slavery in a multi-theistic society where everywhere they looked, there was a different God and a different image. But the book of Genesis was written so that the people of God could understand who they were because of understanding who he was. 
So understanding that context of the book of Genesis and reading through the creation story of those first six days, what we see is God saying over and over who he is, why he made what he made, and that it was good. At the end of each day when he made light and he allowed darkness and he he made the skies and the waters and the birds and the fish and the, the animals, at the end of all of it, he said, this is good. This is good. But there was one part of God's design at the end of everything that he resolved was not good. What he saw was missing was relationship, companionship, partnership. He said that that was not good. So relationship is important. It said in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Relationships were designed so that Can you hear me now? Woo, there we go. All right, so God designed relationships. The, the world has usurped sex as part of their culture, but God designed it from the very beginning. God designed relationships, companionships from the very beginning. So what does the Bible tell us about ourselves? What does the Bible tell us about being mankind? Well, it tells us, number one, that God creates mankind in his image and likeness in his image and likeness. And it differentiates those two things because image is how we look. Likeness is how we operate, how we think, how we relate. Okay, so Genesis 1, 26 through 28. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Again, differentiating those two things so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Other versions call them the creepy crawly things. I don't like that term. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God created them, male and female. There's a very clear definition from God's word, how he intended things to be. From the very beginning, mankind. It does not say God created man. It says he created mankind in his image. That's all of us. If you don't qualify yourselves as part of mankind, I worry. Feral toddlers may be on the border a little bit, but for the rest of us, mankind qualifies all of us. Every single person in this room was created in the image and likeness of God. You are meant to need people. You are meant to need companionship. You are meant to need relationship because God needs all of those things. That's why we were created, is to provide those things for him. The God who shaped the heavens shaped you. No other element of creation did God put in the same amount of work that he put in on mankind. Everything else he spoke into existence, but when it came to mankind, he stepped out of heaven. He got his hands dirty. He formed us out of the clay of the earth and breathed his own breath into us. And that same breath he breathed into Adam is the same breath you breathe today. That same spirit of creation, spirit needing relationship is still part of who we are. And because he doesn't change and we were made in his image and likeness, it means that the truth doesn't change and we shouldn't change. As far as what we believe and the direction we should go, we should be changing and growing and adapting and understanding, but our truth should not change. 
what we believe to be true, what we believe to be foundational should not change because it's based on the identity of a God who is unchanging. So we know that God created mankind, male and female, in his own image. Number two, God created male and female as complementary genders. How many of you are the same as your spouse? Good answer. If you marry someone too much like you, uh, you, you probably already despise some things about yourself. I know I do. So I married somebody the complete opposite, right? We don't want to spend all our time with ourselves. I already spent too much time with myself, so it feels like sometimes. It says in Genesis 1:27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. This is not man was created in the image of God and woman was created in the image of man. Mankind, all of us, were created in the same image, which means both male and female identities are defined by the Creator. Again, 2.18 says, The Lord said it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now I want to break this down a little bit. The word suitable in this context means appropriate for a particular person or purpose. How many of us know we should not all be the same? We should not all be the same. And my strengths and weaknesses are complemented by my wife's strengths and weaknesses. But if I were to be married to somebody else, that would look different. Not all men should look and operate the same. Not all women should look and operate the same. But the partnerships that we create within this world should be complementary. In fact, if you go back to the original language for the word suitable, it means parallel but opposite. Now, I could math nerd out and talk about what parallel means, but it means they go in the same direction and never touch. Meaning they have the same purpose, they're going the same way, but their purposes are different. Their approaches are different. The way they get there is different, but they're going in the same way. And when it talks about helper, helper is important because somehow throughout the thousands of years we've talked about this verse, helper has come to mean servant, and that's not what it means. In fact, if you look in the original language, helper in this context is the same one we use when we cry out to God. When we say, God, help me, it's from a place of desperation, a place of need. And when God says, I will provide a helper, that's the type of help he's providing. One who will help you get out of the deepest, darkest places. So our context should be that God created a partner, not a servant. Male and female, he created them. Mankind in his image. Man is not superior. In fact, I would say in many cases I am inferior. But God created us to be partners. God created woman from man for partnership, not for domination. Genesis 2, 21 and 22, the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man. He brought her to the man. So there's a unique creation of man. There's a unique creation of woman, male and female. He designed them. He created them. He breathed his life into them individually, differently, but intentionally. God intended male and female to be different, but parallel, to be complementary, to move in the same direction in different ways for the same purpose. Woman was made from man, but not for man. Woman was made to partner with man. And rather than focus on gender roles that society continues to tell us and what men should be responsible for and what women should do. We should be doing whatever it takes as partners to move our family in the direction that God calls us. 
Not based on what society tells us, but based on who God is and who he has called us to be. Amen? All right, number three, what does the Bible teach us? The Bible teaches us that God ordained marriage and family. And ordained is the laying on of hands. God blessed it. God designed it. God wants it to happen. God said in Genesis 2.24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is probably the one that didn't make the kitty Bible, right? But God said it. God wanted it to be there because that was God's design. A man leaves his father and mother, another man and woman, unites with a woman to start a new family unit. From the very beginning, that's what God said. And it's affirmed in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians. Paul says this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Same text. Because it's just as important for the New Testament church as it was in the Old Testament, which means it's just as important for us now to recognize that God had a design for the best purpose and the best plan to move things forward in the best way that he possibly could. He had to have a plan and a design. Anybody ever tried to do something without a plan? How well does that work out? You end up with a mess and a bigger thing to fix later. Either plan now or plan later, but eventually a plan will have to come into place. And it's a whole lot easier if you plan on the front end of things. And that's what God did. He said, a man and a wife will become one flesh. That will be the basis of a family unit. And marriage in its current social construct, it's just a contract, it's paperwork. You have to go to the you know, human affairs office and make sure you sign in the right place and have a couple of witnesses and everything. And it's for insurance benefits, it's for taxation, all that kind of stuff. But that wasn't what God intended. Is it okay that the world acknowledges something God designed? Absolutely. But it's become something completely different. It's become a contract instead of the covenant between man, woman, and God that it was designed to be. Marriage was designed by God to bring two people closer together by bringing them closer to him. That's what marriage was intended to be. And now we've created this thing where traditional marriage is becoming or is interpreted as an outdated moral standard. And now we have things like polyamory and open relationships and multiple marriages and multiple families and whatever. And that was never what God designed. That was never God's best was to divide our attention and put us in a place where we can't be what he has called us to be. Marriage is now about getting as much as you can out of another person instead of giving as much as you can to another person. Marriage was supposed to be about sacrifice. Marriage is supposed to be about setting aside yourself and engaging for another person, not trying to get as much as you could for yourself. So God ordained marriage and family to a particular design. Number four is this, is that God institutes sexual intimacy within the context of marriage. Sex is addressed outside of marriage within the Bible, but that's not God's plan. It's not God's design. Again, Genesis 2.24, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. What is that reason? It's to start a new family unit, to move things forward, to build the next generation. In order to build the next generation, you have to have a next generation. I'm not gonna go into further detail on that. You can tell your kids about that later. 
but God instituted sexual intimacy, united to his wife. That's the PG version. They will become one flesh. That's the PG-13 version. And they were both naked. Okay, now we've crossed the line, right? No, we have to address the truth of what scripture says, because if we don't, the world will. And the world is very good at taking what God created and turning it into something dirty, turning it into something shameful, turning it into something that we, we don't want to touch, we don't want to have a part of, right? But the reality is that sex is God's idea. God created sex. God said it is good for man and woman. It is good for a husband to leave his parents, to be with his wife, to become one flesh, to propagate the next generation. It is good. It is powerful. It unites a husband and a wife in a way that no other relationship is supposed to connect. There's not supposed to be this divided attention when it comes to our sexuality. It's supposed to be one man, one woman, united together for life because that's the best way to move things forward because otherwise there's shame, there's baggage, there's heartache, there's challenge. And if you only ever do it God's way, you won't experience the pain that comes with doing it the wrong way. It's meant to be a unique closeness with no shame. But even within the church, people who saved themselves from marriage, I know people who were, they made it to their wedding night without ever having crossed that line with anybody else. But even they had a hard time overcoming the shame of being sexually active because all along they'd been told sex is bad. No, sex is good within a proper context. And if we're not telling our children that, then we're creating the problem that the world says sex is good, the church says sex is bad, and if you had to pick one of those ways, I know what way I would pick. The church has to do it right. We have to do it right. We have to tell the next generation what is right, and that is sex is good between one man and one woman in the context of a husband and wife relationship. Anything else falls short and is incomplete and empty. Why don't we talk about sex in the church? Because it's a private act, because it's shameful, because standing on the stage in the front of the house of the Lord, we really shouldn't be talking about such dirty things. If we don't talk about it, your kids are going to hear it elsewhere. I heard about sex ed on the playground long before I heard it in class. We have to address it properly, or they'll hear it improperly. Mankind is the high point and the pinnacle of God's creation. We are not animals like everything else, which means we should be behaving better than animals. But animals operate based on instinct, and the world is telling us now that instinct is appropriate. Do what you feel. Do what you want. Do what feels right, because you're the only thing that matters. But if we're the only thing that matters, there is no hope for the next generation. We have to carry truth. All of it has to be seen within the context that God created one man, one woman within a marriage relationship. Did we mess that up? Yes, absolutely. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve messed up and we've just continued to find new ways around God's best. That doesn't abolish the system or make it irrelevant. In fact, I would argue it makes it that much more important to preserve truth, to reserve the next generation from the impurities of the former generation. We have to go back to what is true and foundationally concrete, unshakable, and based on who he is, not based on who we are. We have to base who we are on who he is because we were made in his image and his likeness. 
And the devil's going to do everything he can to rob, kill, and destroy. He's going to do everything he can to pervert God's goodness, which is how we're in a position now where sexually transmitted diseases are everywhere, including things like AIDS, the plagues of our age, the tragedies of sexual chaos, widespread promiscuity. I dare you to turn on a show on Netflix and not watch the unmarried people engage in sexual relationships outside of marriage. It's normal now. It doesn't mean it should be. But it has become normalized. We have millions of teen pregnancies with unwed mothers and abortions rampant. We see sexual addictions. We see a multi-billion dollar pornography industry that's built upon the idea of female subjugation, sadomasochism. And now what we have is a culture that is propagating pedophilia, incest, and rape. Because that's what sells. We're no longer bound by truth. We're bound by what's going to make the most money. We have a media culture that glorifies freedom of expression through sexual preference and sexual identity instead of saying there is a right way. Whatever's the right way is what works for you. No, whatever's the right way is what works for everyone. And it has to be based on an absolute truth. And there's the heartbreak of adultery and divorce and culture begins to cave in on itself. And we're dealing with a mess. We're dealing with a mess. What's the church fighting against? We're fighting against media whether that's the news or whether that's common uh, television shows or whatever. We're dealing with schools that are earlier and earlier introducing our kids to the idea of sexuality before we may be comfortable with it. Well, guess what? Get comfortable with it because when you start having conversations with kindergartners about sex, you have a problem. But we're reacting to culture instead of being proactive against culture. We have kids whose friends are introducing them to things such as pornography and sexual experiences. And sex is a very powerful aspect of our creation. It is a driving force of who we are. But if we want to control the narrative, we have to introduce the narrative. Because if somebody else introduces the narrative, they now control it. So if you want to control the narrative for the next generation, you have to introduce it to the next generation. And that doesn't mean that you sit your kid down and introduce the idea of plumbing at the age of four, okay? It means you appropriately identify what that looks like. And we're going to go into more detail on how to teach that next week. But you can't be afraid to talk to your kids about sex because the world has no fear in that conversation. It's okay to be awkward with your children when they're younger so that when they're older and they're dealing with these things, the awkwardness has already been taken care of. I thank God that I had these conversations with my boys when they were young enough to blush and say, I don't want to talk about this. That's great. It's good that you don't want to talk about it. Your friends have no such qualms. And I want you to hear the truth from me before you hear it from someone else. Because at least my truth is based on something absolute and unshakable. Sex is a driving force of our very nature. And if it's a driving force, it needs a driver. It needs boundaries. And what are those boundaries as we wrap up today? Well, biblical boundary number one is this. It is that sex is for marriage only. Say only. Only. Sex was designed one man, one woman within a marriage relationship. That is the ideal. Is it the only way? It should be. Because that's how God designed it. It says marriage should be honored in Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored. And honored means esteemed or held in high regard. Honored by all. Say all. All. And the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. 
And sexually immoral becomes this ambiguous term because the English language is terrible about interpreting from other language. But if you go back to the original language, the original Greek, sexually immoral means any sex outside of marriage. That includes homosexuality. That includes fornication. That includes bestiality and these different perversions of God's design. God's way is the best way because it leads to the best results. Is it easy? No. Absolutely it's not easy. And our society ignores it outright. What does it mean that sex is for marriage only? Well, number one, it means no premarital sex. And our society ignores it. The idea of compatibility starts with sexuality. If you're not sexually compatible, you're not compatible. But if the only compatibility you have is a sexual compatibility, eventually the physical lust side of that fades and you're stuck with a person you can't talk to, that you have nothing in common with, that you can't have a connection with. Instead of sexual compatibility, sexual compatibility being the foundation, it should be the result. Emotional compatibility, spiritual compatibility, intellectual compatibility, all of those things must be present, culminating in an event that we call a wedding, which then leads to what becomes sexual compatibility. It can't start at the finish line. It doesn't work. If you start at the finish line, it means you cheated. God's way is the best way. God's design is the best design. Flee from sexual immorality, it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sexually sins against his own body. If you sin sexually, you are sinning against your own body. Why is that a problem? Because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. So if you are sinning against your own body, you are sinning against a temple of the Lord. I don't want to sin against God's temple which means I have to work hard. It means I have to put in the time and effort to maintain what God has designed. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Avoid sexual immorality, including premarital sex. The other one here is no adultery. This was pretty straightforward. Exodus 20, 14. You shall not commit adultery. What is adultery? Adultery is a married person having sexual relationship with somebody outside of that marriage relationship. What's the line in marriage ceremonies? Till death do us part. Or until it becomes hard or inconvenient or until I no longer find you sexually attractive. No, those asterisks are not found in the vows. Otherwise, we'd have far fewer marriages. Till death do us part. Through the hard things, through the easy things, through when it's great, through when it's really challenging, through sickness and health, that's what it's supposed to be. Does that mean it's easy? No, it means it's a choice a daily choice to commit to the person that you chose. Every day I wake up, I look at my wife and remember that I chose her, so I choose her. Because if I don't make that choice, my mind starts to wander, my eyes start to wander, and I start to make acceptable the unacceptable. No adultery. It means for the rest of your life, having eyes and any other part of your body only for one other person, and that is your spouse. If monogamy was easy, all creation would do it. But we were designed special for a very particular relationship. So no adultery, 
no sex outside of marriage. But biblical boundary number two is this, no unchecked lust. It says in Matthew 5, 27 through 28, this is straight from the mouth of Jesus. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. It's pretty straightforward. I can keep it in my pants, right? But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. So it's not just the physical act, it's the emotional act of allowing yourself to linger in a place you should not linger, to focus in a place you should not focus. God has a plan. God has a design. Adultery is equated with lust because sin is sin. There are not levels and barriers. Well, this one's not as bad as this one. Did you cross a line? Yes, sin, bad, don't. God wants what's best for you. We continually say, my best days are ahead. Our best days are ahead, but I can only arrive at my best days if I walk the path that God has chosen for me. How do I achieve the best family? By achieving it within God's plan and God's design. Do I want my children to be good fathers one day? Yes. Do I want them to be good husbands one day? Yes, which means I have to build them upon the absolute, unshakable truth of who God is and who they are in him. Because I will not find the truth in the world. The world will tell me whatever feels good is true. But I know that can't be true. Because I lie to myself all the time. My opinion changes. My feelings change. But God doesn't change. God's truth is unchangeable. God's truth is unshakable because he is unchangeable. So we have to find our identity and our purpose in him. Because only by knowing him can we ever truly know ourselves. Only by knowing his plan and his design can we arrive at the best possible destination. He's unshakable. And we can either be upset with culture for exposing our children to these ideas, or we can take the opportunity to prevent that from taking hold. We can't be reactive. We have to be proactive. Be the first one to have conversations with your kids. Be the first one to tell them who God is, who they are, why they were designed the way they were designed. And when they start to question who they are, you remind them, God says you are special. You were created unique. You are mankind. Therefore, you bear the image and likeness of God. And even, even if they have questions, you want them to come to you. You want them to come to you and you want your answers to be based on truth. You cannot afford to be embarrassed by having these conversations with your kids because culture has no embarrassment about sex. We have to. And if you're here today and you're sitting here going, well, I can't have these conversations with my kids. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I crossed so many lines. I learned so many things the hard way. That just means you don't want your kids to experience the pain, the shame, the grief, and the heartache that you experienced. It doesn't make you a bad parent to have had mistakes. It makes you a good parent to expose your kids to the truth so they don't make the same ones. And if you're here today, you're experiencing that grief and that pain from feeling like a hypocrite because you crossed lines. I want to pray with you today. You know, we have it on the wall. We're a Bible church. This is not Pastor Dan, Pastor Mark, Pastor Rob, Pastor Matt standing up here on the stage saying, this is what we as True North believe. This is what the Bible tells us. 
The Bible is an unshakable foundation. The Bible is rooted in truth. And it doesn't matter that culture thinks that we're out of date, that we're intolerant. We have to be true to who he has called us to be. And maybe you're here today and you've never encountered God in a way where he's shown you who you are. That you can be free from that pain, from that grief, from that sorrow. I want to pray with you today too. And we say that that's as easy as ABC. To know him, we we must first admit that we don't truly know ourselves. We've fallen short. But B, we can believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and walked this earth a perfect life so that we could have another chance. So we then see, confess him as the Lord of our life, our Savior who gives us absolute truth to lead us in the right direction. If that's you today, let's pray together as we bow our heads, close our eyes. Lord, we thank you that there is truth and that it is unshakable, that it cannot be shifted off the foundation because you are an unchangeable, unshakable God. Lord, for those people in this room who have made mistakes in their past and they're afraid to confront that with their own children to prevent those mistakes from taking hold in the next generation, I pray that you would break that hold, Lord Jesus. That you would allow the people in this room experiencing that pain to let that pain go so that they can prevent that pain from taking hold from generation to generation. And Lord, for those of us in this room who don't know you, Lord, we admit we don't know who we are without knowing who you are. And we want to know you. And we believe that you came, you walked this earth, you died and rose again so that we could overcome death. And we confess you as the Lord of our life. We confess that your truth is the only truth, that your way is the best way. And if I want to arrive where you have called me to arrive, I must walk according to your path. We thank you, Lord, and pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. What a fantastic service. Be sure to stay in touch by following us on social media so you can stay up to date with all that is happening at True North Church.